Church family, thank you for joining tonight uh, on this Sunday evening service. And I want you to take your Bible and turn with me, please, to the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter 1. I have been uh, studying the book of Jonah for some time now. The Lord has used its truths in my life to really help me in a special way. And it's interesting to me that God always knows what season of life we're in and exactly what we need when we need it. And I know, again, if you have been following uh, along this morning even, uh, you know I'm at home recording this. And and so that's why it may be a little different. <laughs> that's what the background is. And you might even hear the dog bark. Uh, if that happens, just ignore it. We're just going to move on. And uh, so thank you for tuning in tonight. And I want to bring just a thought that the Lord has been impressing upon me lately from his word. I want you to look at verse one in this book. Uh, obviously, we know if you were to ask the average churchgoer or Christian, what is the book of Jonah? What's the narrative? What's the theme? They may even tell you that the theme is of a runaway prophet, a man who was on the run from God. But the truth of the matter is, Jonah's running from the Lord is not the main theme of the book of Jonah. The main theme of the book of Jonah is to expose God's heart for lostness and for lost people. God's passion to save the world. And that's really, as we begin to dive deep into this book, that's what we see. Now, obviously, there are other narratives that are a part of this, this greater story. One of those narratives is Jonah running from God. Another narrative is um, his prejudice and why it was that Jonah ran from the Lord. His hostility toward the Assyrians, the Ninevites, the citizens of Nineveh. So we read in verse one, it's very interesting. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. Nineveh was a city, it's estimated, of around 650,000 people. It is believed that at the time, Nineveh was one of the greatest cities in the known world, if not the greatest city in the known world at the time. And so God said, I want you to go to Nineveh. It'd be like the Lord telling someone today. I want you to go to the world's most vital, important city, whatever city that is, Washington, D.C., New York City, maybe London, England, uh, somewhere, maybe Beijing, somewhere around the world that has worldwide impact. God is saying to Jonah, I want you to go there. So, and then he said, I want you to cry against them. Verse two, for their wickedness is come up before me. But verse three says, but Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa. Joppa was a seacoast town. And there, that's where the port was. And he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Verse four, but the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea. 
There was a mighty tempest in the sea so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God, cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. And they said every one to his fellow, Come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us? What is thine occupation, and whence comest thou? What is thy country, and of what people art thou? So they basically come to Jonah and say that we know that you're the reason this storm has come upon us. Tell us what's going on. What are you hiding? And it's interesting ladies and gentlemen, that even the Lord's plan and the Lord's will was being worked out even even in the superstition of the mariners. They had a practice of casting lots. What that means is, is we've talked about this before, but it was almost like they would put different articles and items in a cup or some type of bucket are in a bag and then they would throw the contents down on the ground and wherever a particular item, um, whatever direction it pointed in, uh, they felt like that was being, uh, that was uh, a sign from their deity as to what was going on. It gave direction in their minds. And it's interesting that even though all that mess was bogus, there, there is no other God but the Lord God, Jehovah. We know that. That the Lord used even the superstition of those men to guide their attention to Jonah. And they were right. Jonah was the reason for the storm. And so they say, Jonah, tell us what's going on in your life. What are you running from? Are you a fugitive of justice? Uh, they, they, they were big on uh, a sense of, the universe getting equal with someone who had done wrong. And uh, they had no concept necessarily of it being the justice of almighty God. And so Jonah in verse nine, he tells them, I mean, flat out just confesses. I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord God, the God of heaven that hath made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid and said unto him, why hast thou done this? For the men knew that Jonah fled from the presence of the Lord because he told them. Jonah flat out was honest and said, look, God called me to go to Nineveh. I'm not going. I don't want to go to Nineveh. I'm going the other way, the opposite end of the earth. I'm going to Tarshish, which was as far away from Nineveh as Jonah could get. And so they say, verse 11, what shall we do that the sea may be common to us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. Verse 12, and he said unto them, 
Take me up, cast me forth into the sea, so shall the sea be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake, this great tempest is upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to land, but they could not, for the sea was wrought and was tempestuous against them. Wherefore, watch this, they cried unto the Lord and said, we beseech thee, O Lord. That's the, that's, that's, that's the God of heaven and earth. That's Jehovah God, the only God, the one true and living God. They sought God. They called on the Lord and they said, we beseech you, we beg you, let us not perish for this man's life. Lay not upon us innocent blood. For thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea. And the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Now, this is just interesting to me that these heathen pagan mariners up to that point, we're not even sure what their background was or how much knowledge they had about Israel's God. But there in just that brief encounter and exchange that we have with Jonah, there was enough truth given that pointed their eyes and hearts and attention to the creator of heaven and earth the only true and living God, the God of the earth, the God of land and the God of sea, the God of nature who controls everything. And their hearts were turned to him. It's interesting. They prayed, they called on him, they acknowledged his lordship. And then it says that they even offered a sacrifice unto God and they made promises to God. They made vows to God. And when it comes to these mariners, that's really all we know. We don't know if they lived any of those vows out. We don't know anything further. But notice verse 17. When they cast Jonah into the sea, now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So I want you to think with me just a moment. There are two elements in chapter one that the Bible says were prepared by God. The storm, God prepared the storm. And then the Bible says the fish, that God prepared the fish to swallow up Jonah. What's interesting to me is that the Lord shows his sovereignty and his control over these two elements. Think with me just a moment. I want us to put ourselves in Jonah's shoes or his sandals. Here he is. He knows he's running from God. He's with these heathen, pagan mariners. And this storm erupts. It's so violent that they believe they're all going to lose their lives. And so they end up casting Jonah into the ocean, get him off this ship. He's the cause of all this. And then if you're Jonah, you have to think, gang, just when you think it could get any worse, you're cast into this storm, this tempestuous sea, the Mediterranean Sea. I don't know if it was at nighttime or whatever. It didn't have to be. 
I'm sure that the sky was dark because of the storm. So imagine this, Jonah's thrown overboard, he's cast into the sea, and then the very next moment, things go from bad to worse. And if there was any kind of light out, as soon as that great fish prepared by God, as soon as that fish came up and swallowed up Jonah, (laughs) the lights were shut out. I can only imagine what was going through Jonah's brain. That I, I, I would think if I were in his shoes, in my opinion, my greatest fear would have been realized. No doubt at some point, Jonah was fearful. Jonah was afraid. But I want you to think about something with me, gang, that these two elements, the storm and the fish, were used by God, these two things that Jonah, I'm sure, in his mind, that which Jonah perhaps thought in his heart was the end of his life was really designed by God to save his life. Jonah thought he was dead for sure. He was a goner. But God knew in his sovereign plan that Jonah's greatest threat at the time ended up being Jonah's greatest rescue. So often in our lives, there are so many things that we're afraid of, things that happen to us, situations and struggles. And time wouldn't even permit me tonight just to talk about all the things that are a threat to us. But I want to tell you that because of the power of God and God's sovereign plan and God's sovereign design, we learn that even these elements, the storm, the fish, these two things that Jonah thought was were these were his greatest threats, they ended up being used by God in his life to get Jonah where he needed to be. So I want to leave this thought with you tonight. How can your greatest fear become your greatest friend? How can your greatest Fear, become your greatest friend. I want to give you four observations and then we'll pray. Observation number one, the storm and the fish were both sent by the Lord. It's interesting that the storm in the Mediterranean there, it's not uncommon, but they don't have violent, violent storms quite like that. Too often, not certainly like the Atlantic Ocean or anything like that. In fact, in the Mediterranean Sea, they call this a medicane, <laughs> a hurricane in the Mediterranean, medicane. Sure enough, it probably was a medicane, a storm of such ferociousness and veracity that these men thought they were going to die. But it's interesting that God prepared, God sovereignly designed that storm And God sovereignly arranged the fish to come along at the very moment, at the very second, the right place at the right time. No coincidences. You say, Christian, well, I've read before that it's impossible even for a fish, a whale. Let's say it's a whale. The Bible doesn't say it just calls it a fish, a great fish. You say, well, I've read scientifically, biologically, it's impossible 
for a fish, a whale, to swallow a human, and certainly for that human to remain alive. Well, friend, let me just say this to you. I don't have any problem at all believing in the miracles of the Bible. Surely, if it's true that God prepared the storm, and he did, and God prepared the fish, and he did, could not the Lord suspend natural law? Surely God, the creator, the one who controlled all of this, has enough power to perform. If he performed one miracle in sending the storm, and he performed another miracle in sending the fish, could he not perform another miracle in preserving Jonah's life in the belly of the great fish? Absolutely. I want you to know that God is always at work. He's never sleeping. He's never uh, dormant. He's always actively working, not just in the life of this runaway prophet, but in your life and mine as well. He is always working. I do not know what circumstances you're battling this very moment, but whatever those are, know, please, that God is sovereignly directing each element in your life. So the storm and the fish were both sent by the Lord. Statement number two, the storm and the fish got Jonah back on course. No doubt Jonah was headed in the wrong direction. But when God brought these things into his life, it got him back to where he needed to be, headed in the direction that God had called him to be in. How many times in our lives have our greatest threats and our greatest fears driven us to the Lord? And they've caused us really to stop in our tracks and run to God. And God put Jonah in a situation where he had no choice but to look to him. The storm and the fish were both sent by the Lord. Storm and the fish got Jonah back on course. Then observation number three, the storm and the fish woke Jonah up to reality. It's interesting. He swallowed up in verse 17, and then the very next verse, chapter two, verse one, Jonah is in the belly of the fish, and he prays. Now, he was there for three days and three nights. I don't know at what point in this journey he began to pray, one, uh, many commentators suggest that he could have either passed out. Uh, some even believe that Jonah actually died and God brought him back to life and revived him in the belly of the fish. We don't know, but we do realize that at some point he woke up. We hear this term now, especially now about being woke. Let me say this to you about being woke. The greatest reality you can be woke to is to your own relationship with Jesus. And God used the storm and the fish to wake Jonah up and to get his attention and to get his focus back on what God wanted it to be on. And that's God's mission for Jonah's life and God's Jonah's relationship with God. It could be that God is using the storms or a threat, the fish, <laughs> in your life to wake you 
And it calls us to, as he says in the New Testament, to wake up out of our sleep and out of our slumber. Now is the time. And he said, it's high time that we wake up and embrace a sense of sobriety in our minds and in our spirit. And then statement number four, the storm and the fish set Jonah up for his greatest kingdom contribution, the kingdom of God, God's kingdom. The storm and the fish put Jonah on course and set him up for him to make the most profound difference that he could possibly make. Second Kings tells us that Jonah was already a prophet, already known as a prophet, no doubt, when this occurred. But his greatest achievement for the Lord, his greatest usefulness came when he walked into Nineveh that day after being spit up by the whale, by the fish. And he walked in and preached repentance. The people repented. They turned from their sin and they turned to God And from the greatest, the king, down to the least, the greatest servant, the most humble person, from the palace to the poorhouse, everyone in the city repented, it seems, and turned toward God, and God spared them. There was proclamation of the word of truth, there was repentance, and there was revival. Because Jonah got on track with the Lord. I want you to know, I don't know what all God has designed for your situation. That that you fear the most, whatever it is, a relational issue, a physical struggle, a financial strain, maybe a deep discouragement and a season of depression Maybe it's a particular thing or temptation and onslaught by the devil. Maybe a false accusation. I do not know. But this I do know, dear friend, that God is at work and he's using what is a threat to you to get you and me to where we need to be. I close tonight with the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 7. Verse seven, lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me, Paul said, a thorn in the flesh. And remember, Paul asked God three times to remove it. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, he said, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure For this thing, I begged God three times. I besought the Lord that he would, that it might depart from me. I wanted God, he said, to take away this thorn, to take away this threat, to take away this pain in my life. But God said to me, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect or complete your weakness. God said, it takes your weakness in order for my strength and grace to be magnified. Now, friend, we don't like the weakness. We don't want the weakness. We don't want the vulnerability. We don't want that sense of helplessness and hopelessness. But God said, I want you to know that my grace 
is more greatly revealed and my glory is more preeminently put on display in your weakness and your inability than it is any other time. Most gladly, Paul said, therefore, because of all this, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, he said, verse 10, I take pleasure in my infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For I've learned, he said, that when I am weak, then am I strong. I remember a dear Christian lady, Mrs. Marlene Evans, who battled cancer for 19 years before the Lord took her home. She said that she learned some things in her cancer battle that she would have learned no other way. She ultimately wrote a book about her experience entitled Cancer, My Enemy, My Friend. She learned that her greatest threat and her greatest fear could become used by God to be your greatest friend. Scott Pauley said that we want God to change all of our circumstances, but God loves to work in the middle of our circumstances because that's where he gets the most glory. I close with the words of Spurgeon tonight where he said, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. Whatever you're facing tonight, dear friend, let it throw you against the rock of ages. And that threat can become your friend. Let's pray together. Our Father, I pray for our people. I know right now so many are struggling with all kinds of situations. Thank you that you know and thank you that you have the power to do what needs to be done take care of these things. Bring us through these fiery trials. Bring us through purified, more godly, more sanctified, more joy-filled, more Jesus-focused. We praise you in the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.